0: section two of famous adventures and prison escapes of the civil war by various this LibriVox recording is in the public domain section two war diary of a union woman in the south part two seven the fight for food and clothing april one the last ten days have brought changes in the house max r left with the company to be mustered in leaving with us his weeping annie hardly were her spirits somewhat composed when her brother arrived from natchez to take her home this morning he annie and Reenie, the black handmaiden posted off out of seven of us only h myself and aunt judy are left the absence of Reenie will be not the least noted she was as precious an imp as any topsy ever was her tricks were endless and her innocence of them amazing when sent out to bring in eggs, she would take them from nests where hens were hatching, and embryo chickens would be served up at breakfast, while Reney stood by, grinning, to see them opened. But when accused, she was imperturbable. "'Las, Miss L, I never done been not in hens. Miss Annie, you can go count them dear eggs.' That, when counted, they were found minus the number she had brought, had no effect on her stolid denial h has plenty to do finishing the garden all by himself but the time rather drags for me april thirteenth eighteen sixty two this morning i was sewing up a rent in h s garden coat when aunt judy rushed in lars miss here's mr max and miss annie done come back a buggy was coming up with max annie and Reenie. well is the war over i asked "'Oh, I got sick,' replied our returned soldier, getting slowly out of the buggy. He was very thin and pale, and explained that he took a severe cold almost at once, had a mild attack of pneumonia, and the surgeon got him his discharge as unfit for service. He succeeded in reaching Annie, and a few days of good care made him strong enough to travel back home. "'I suppose, H., you've heard that Island Number 10 is gone?' yes we had heard that much but max had the particulars and an exciting talk followed at night h said to me gee new orleans will be the next to go you'll see and i want to get there first this stagnation here will kill me april twenty eighth this evening has been very lovely but full of a sad disappointment h invited me to drive as we turned homeward he said well my arrangements are completed you can begin to pack your trunks tomorrow, and i shall have a talk with max mr r and annie were sitting on the gallery as i ran up the steps heard the news they cried no what news new orleans is taken all the boats have been run up the river to save them no more mails how little they knew what plans of ours this dashed away but our disappointment is truly an infinitesimal drop in the great waves of triumph and despair surging to-night in thousands of hearts april thirty the last two weeks have glided quietly away without incident except the arrival of new neighbors dr y his wife two children and servants that a professional man prospering in vicksburg should come now to settle in this retired place looks queer max said h that man has come here to hide from the conscript officers he has brought no end of provisions and is here for the war he has chosen well for this county is so cleaned of men it won't pay to send the conscript officers here our stores are diminishing and cannot be replenished from without ingenuity and labor must evoke them we have a fine garden in growth plenty of chickens and hives of bees to furnish honey in lieu of sugar a good deal of salt meat has been stored in the smokehouse and with fish from the lake we expect to keep the wolf from the door the season for game is about over but an occasional squirrel or duck comes to the larder though the question of ammunition has to be considered What we have may be all we can have if the war lasts five years longer, and they say they are prepared to hold out till the crack of doom. Food, however, is not the only want. I never realized before the varied needs of civilization. Every day something is out. Last week but two bars of soap remained, so we began to save bones and ashes." Annie said, Now, if we only had some china berry trees here, we shouldn't need any other grease. They are making splendid soap at Vicksburg with china balls. They just put the berries into the lye and it eats them right up and makes a fine soap. I did long for some china berries to make this experiment. H had laid in what seemed a good supply of kerosene, but it is nearly gone, and we are down to two candles kept for an emergency annie brought a recipe from natchez for making candles of rosin and wax and with great forethought brought also the wick and rosin so yesterday we tried making candles we had no moulds but annie said the latest style in natchez was to make a waxen rope by dipping then wrap it around a corn-cob but h cut smooth blocks of wood about four inches square into which he set a polished cylinder about four inches high The waxen ropes were coiled round the cylinder like a serpent, with the head raised about two inches. As the light burned down to the cylinder, more of the rope was unwound. Today the vinegar was found to be all gone, and we have started to make some. For Tyros, we succeed pretty well. 8. Drowned out and starved out May 9 a great misfortune has come upon us all for several days every one has been uneasy about the unusual rise of the mississippi and about a rumor that the federal forces had cut levees above to swamp the country there is a slight levee back of the village and h went yesterday to examine it it looked strong and we hoped for the best about dawn this morning a strange gurgle woke me it had a pleasing lulling effect i could not fully rouse at first but curiosity conquered at last and i called h listen to that running water what is it he sprung up listened a second and shouted max get up the water is on us they both rushed off to the lake for the skiff the levee had not broken the water was running clean over it and through the garden fence so rapidly that by the time i dressed and got outside max was paddling the piroque they had brought in among the bee vines gathering all the ripe peas left above the water we had enjoyed one mess and he vowed we should have another h was busy nailing a raft together while he had a dry place to stand on Annie and I, with Rini, had to secure the chickens, and the back piazza was given up to them. By the time a hasty breakfast was eaten, the water was in the kitchen. The stove and everything there had to be put up in the dining room. Aunt Judy and Rini had likewise to move into the house, their floor also being covered with water. The raft had to be floated to the storehouse, and a platform built on which everything was elevated. At evening we looked around and counted the cost. The garden was utterly gone. Last evening we had walked round the strawberry beds that fringed the whole acre and tasted a few just ripe. The hives were swamped. Many of the chickens were drowned. Sancho had been sent to high ground where he could eat grass. In the village everything green was swept away. Yet we were better off than many others, for this house being raised we have escaped the water indoors. It just laves the edge of the galleries. May 26. During the past week, we have lived somewhat like Venetians, with a boat at the front steps and a raft at the back. Sunday, H and I took skiff to church. The clergyman, who is also tutor at a planter's across the lake, preached to the few who had arrived in skiffs. We shall not try it again. It is so troublesome getting in and out at the courthouse steps. The imprisonment is hard to endure it threatened to make me really ill so every evening h lays a thick wrap in the pirogue i sit on it and we row off to the ridge of dry land running along the lake shore and branching off to a strip of wood also out of water here we disembark and march up and down till dusk a great deal of the wood got wet and had to be laid out to dry on the galleries with clothing and everything that must be dried One's own trials are intensified by the worst suffering around that we can do nothing to relieve. Max has a puppy named after General Price. The gentlemen had both gone uptown yesterday in the skiff when Annie and I heard little Price's despairing cries from under the house, and we got on the raft to find and save him. We wore light morning dresses and slippers, for shoes are becoming precious. Annie donned a shaker and I a broad hat. We got the raft pushed out to the center of the grounds opposite the house, and could see Price clinging to a post. The next move must be to navigate the raft up to the side of the house, and reach for Price. It sounds easy, but poke around with our poles, as wildly or as scientifically as we might, the raft would not budge. The noonday sun was blazing right overhead, and the muddy water running all over slippered feet and dainty dresses how long we stayed praying for rescue yet wincing already at the laugh that would come with it i shall never know it seemed like a day before the welcome bode and the ha ha of h and max were heard the confinement tells severely on all the animal life about us half the chickens are dead and the other half sick the days drag slowly we have to depend mainly on books to relieve the tedium for we have no piano none of us like cards we are very poor chess players and the chess set is incomplete when we gather round the one lamp we dare not light any more each one exchanges the gems of thought or mirthful ideas he finds frequently the gnats and the mosquitoes are so bad we cannot read at all this evening till a strong breeze blew them away they were intolerable Aunt Judy goes about in a dignified silence, too full for words. Only asking two or three times, "What I done to ye from de fust?" The food is a trial. This evening, the snaky candles lighted the glass and silver on the supper tables with a pale gleam and disclosed a frugal supper indeed: tea without milk, for all the cows are gone, honey and bread a faint ray twinkled on the water swishing against the house and stretching away into the dark woods it looked like civilization and barbarism met together just as we sat down to it some one passing in a boat shouted that confederates and federals were fighting at vicksburg monday june two On last Friday morning, just three weeks from the day the water rose, signs of its falling began. Yesterday the ground appeared, and a hard rain coming down at the same time washed off much of the unwholesome debris. Today is fine, and we went out without a boat for a long walk. June 13. Since the water ran off, we have, of course, been attacked by swamp fever. H. succumbed first, then Annie, Max next, and then I. Luckily, the new Dr. Y. had brought quinine with him, and we took heroic doses. Such fever never burned in my veins before, or sapped strength so rapidly, though probably the want of good food was a factor. The two or three other professional men have left. Dr. Y. alone remains. The roads, now being dry enough, H. and Max. started on horseback in different directions to make an exhaustive search for food supplies." h got back this evening with no supplies june fifteen max got back today. he started right off again to cross the lake and interview the planters on that side for they had not suffered from overflow june sixteen max got back this morning h and he were in the parlor talking and examining maps together till dinner-time when that was over they laid the matter before us To buy provisions had proved impossible. The planters across the lake had decided to issue rations of cornmeal and peas to the villagers whose men had all gone to war, but they utterly refused to sell anything. "'They told me,' said Max, "'we will not see your family starve, Mr. R., but with such numbers of slaves and the village poor to feed, we can spare nothing for sale.' well of course said h we do not purpose to stay here and live on charity rations we must leave the place at all hazards we have studied out every route and made inquiries everywhere we went we shall have to go down the mississippi in an open boat as far as fetler's landing on the eastern bank there we can cross by land and put the boat into Steele's bayou pass thence to the yazoo river from there to chickasaw bayou into McNutt's lake and land near my uncle's in warren county june twenty as soon as our intended departure was announced we were besieged by requests for all sorts of things wanted in every family pins matches gunpowder and ink one of the last cases h and max had before the stay law stopped legal business was the settlement of an estate that included a country store the heirs had paid in chattels of the store these had remained packed in the office the main contents of the cases were hardware but we found treasure indeed a keg of powder a case of matches a paper of pens a bottle of ink red ink is now made out of pokeberries pins are made by capping thorns with sealing wax or using them as nature made them these were articles money could not get for us we would give our friends a few matches to save for the hour of tribulation the paper of pins we divided evenly and filled a bank box each with the matches h filled a tight tin case apiece with powder for max and himself and sold the rest as we could not carry any more on such a trip those who did not hear of this in time offered fabulous prices afterward for a single pound but money has not its old attractions our preparations were delayed by aunt judy falling sick of swamp fever friday june twenty-seven as soon as the cook was up again we resumed preparations we put all the clothing in order and had it nicely done up with the last of the soap and starch I wonder," said Annie. "When I shall ever have nicely starched clothes after these? They had no starch in Natchez or Vicksburg when I was there. We are now furbishing up dresses suitable for such rough summer travel. While we sat at work yesterday, the quiet of the clear, calm noon was broken by a low, continuous roar like a distant thunder. Today we are told it was probably cannon at Vicksburg." this is a great distance i think to have heard it over a hundred miles h and max have bought a large yawl and are busy on the lake bank repairing it and fitting it with lockers aunt judy's master has been notified when to send for her a home for the cat jeff has been engaged price is dead and sancho sold nearly all the furniture is disposed of except things valued from association which will be packed in h s office and left with some one likely to stay through the war it is hardest to leave the books tuesday july eighth we start to-morrow packing the trunks was a problem Annie and I are allowed one large trunk apiece, the gentlemen a smaller one each, and we a light carpet bag apiece for toilet articles. I arrived with six trunks and leave with one. We went over everything carefully twice, rejecting, trying to off the bonds of custom and get down to primitive needs. At last we made a judicious selection. Everything old or worn was left everything merely ornamental except good lace which was light gossamer evening dresses were all left i calculated on taking two or three books that would bear the most reading if we were again shut up where none could be had and so of course took shakespeare first here i was interrupted to go and pay a farewell visit and when we returned max had packed and nailed the cases of books to be left chance thus limited my choice to those that happened to be in my room paradise lost the arabian nights a volume of macaulay's history i was reading and my prayer-book Today, the provisions for the trip were cooked the last of the flour was made into large loaves of bread a ham and several dozen eggs were boiled the few chickens that have survived the overflow were fried The last of the coffee was parched and ground, and the modicum of the tea was well corked up. Our friends across the lake added a jar of butter and two of preserves. H. rode off to X after dinner to conclude some business there, and I sat before a table to tie bundles of things to be left. The sunset glowed and faded, and the quiet evening came on, calm and starry i sat by the window till evening deepened into night and as the moon rose i still looked a reluctant farewell to the lovely lake and the grand woods till the sound of h s horse at the gate broke the spell nine homeless and shelterless thursday july tenth plantation yesterday about four o'clock we walked to the lake and embarked provisions and utensils were packed in the lockers and a large trunk was stowed at each end the blankets and cushions were placed against one of them and annie and i sat on them turkish fashion near the center the two smaller trunks made a place for reeney max and h were to take turns at the rudder and oars The last word was a fervent godspeed from Mr. E., who is left in charge of all our affairs. We believe him to be a union man, but have never spoken of it to him. We were gloomy enough crossing the lake, for it was evident the heavily laden boat would be difficult to manage. Last night we stayed at this plantation, and from the window of my room I see the men unloading the boat to place it on the cart, which a team of oxen will haul to the river. These hospitable people are kindness itself, till you mention the war. Saturday, July twelfth, Under a cotton shed on the bank of the Mississippi River. Thursday was a lovely day, and the sight of the broad river exhilarating. The Negroes launched and reloaded the boat, and when we had paid them and spoken good-bye to them, we felt we were really off everyone had said that if we kept in the current the boat would almost go of itself but in fact the current seemed to throw it about and hard pulling was necessary the heat of the sun was very severe and it proved impossible to use an umbrella or any kind of shade as it made steering more difficult snags and floating timbers were very troublesome twice we hurried up to the bank out of the way of passing gunboats but they took no notice of us when we got thirsty it was found that max had set the jug of water in the shade of a tree and left it there we must dip up the river water or go without when it got too dark to travel safely we disembarked Reenie gathered wood made a fire and some tea and we had a good supper we then divided h and i remaining to watch the boat max and annie on shore She hung up a mosquito-bar to the trees and went to bed comfortably. In the boat, the mosquitoes were horrible, but I fell asleep and slept till voices on the bank woke me. Annie was wandering disconsolate round her bed, and when I asked the trouble, said, Oh, I can't sleep here. I found a toad and a lizard in the bed. When dropping off again, H. woke me to say he was very sick. He thought it was from drinking the river water with difficulty i got a trunk opened to find some medicine while doing so a gunboat loomed up vast and gloomy and we gave each other a good fright our voices doubtless reached her for instantly every one of her lights disappeared and she ran for a few minutes along the opposite bank we momently expected a shell as a feeler at dawn next morning we made coffee and a hasty breakfast fixed up as well as we could in our sylvan dressing-rooms and pushed on for it is settled that travelling between eleven and two will have to be given up unless we want to be roasted alive h grew worse he suffered terribly and the rest of us as much to see him pulling in such a state of exhaustion max would not trust either of us to steer about eleven we reached the landing of a plantation max walked up to the house and returned with the owner an old gentleman living alone with his slaves the housekeeper a young colored girl could not be surpassed in her graceful efforts to make us comfortable and anticipate every want i was so anxious about h that i remember nothing except that the cold drinking water taken from a cistern beneath the building into which only the winter rains were allowed to fall was like an elixir they offered luscious peaches that with such water were nectar and ambrosia to our parched lips at night the housekeeper said she was sorry they had no mosquito bars ready and hoped the mosquitoes would not be thick but they came out in legions I knew that on sleep that night depended recovery or illness for H and all possibility of proceeding next day, so I sat up fanning away mosquitoes that he might sleep, toppling over now and then on the pillows till roused by his stirring. I contrived to keep this up till, as the chill before dawn came, they abated and I got a short sleep. Then, with the aid of cold water, a fresh toilette, and a good breakfast, I braced up for another day's baking in the boat. If I had been well and strong as usual, the discomforts of such a journey would not have seemed so much to me, but I was still weak from the effects of the fever, and annoyed by a worrying toothache which there had been no dentist to rid me of in our village having paid and dismissed the boat's watchman we started and travelled till 11 today. when we stopped at this cotton-shed when our dais was spread and lunch laid out in the cool breeze it seemed a blessed spot a good many negroes came offering chickens and milk in exchange for tobacco which we had not we bought some milk with money A United States transport just now steamed by, and the men on the guards cheered and waved to us. We all replied, but Annie... Even Max was surprised into an answering cheer, and I waved my handkerchief with a very full heart as the dear old flag we had not seen for so long floated by. But Annie turned her back. Sunday, July thirteenth, Under a Tree on the East Bank of the Mississippi Late on Saturday evening we reached a plantation whose owner invited us to spend the night at his house. What a delightful thing is courtesy! The first tone of our host's welcome indicated the true gentleman. We never leave the oars with the watchman. Max takes these, Annie and I each take a bandbox, H takes my carpet sack, and Rini brings up the rear with Annie's it is a funny procession mr b s family were absent and as we sat on the gallery talking it needed only a few minutes to show this was a union man his home was elegant and tasteful but even here there was neither tea nor coffee about eleven we stopped here in this shady place While eating lunch, the negroes again came, imploring for tobacco. Soon an invitation came from the house for us to come and rest. We gratefully accepted, but found their idea of rest for warm, tired travellers was to sit in the parlour on stiff chairs while the whole family trooped in, cool and clean in fresh toilettes, to stare and question. We soon returned to the trees however they kindly offered cornmeal pound cake and beer which were excellent eight gunboats and one transport have passed us getting out of their way has been troublesome our gentlemen's hands are badly blistered tuesday july 15 Sunday night, about 10, we reached the place where, according to our map, Steele's Bayou comes nearest to the Mississippi, and where the landing should be, but when we climbed the steep bank there was no sign of habitation. Max walked off into the woods on a search, and was gone so long we feared he had lost his way. He could find no road. H suggested shouting, and both began. At last a distant halloo replied, and by cries the answerer was guided to us. A negro came forward and said that was the right place. His master kept the landing, and he would watch the boat for five dollars. He showed the road and said his master's house was one mile off, and another house two miles. We mistook and went to the one two miles off. At one o'clock we reached Mr. Fetler's, who was pleasant and said we should have the best he had. The bed, into whose grateful softness I sank, was piled with mattresses to within two or three feet of the ceiling, and with no stepladder getting in and out was a problem. This morning we noticed the high-water mark four feet above the lower floor. Mrs. Fetler said they had lived upstairs several weeks. 10 frights and perils in steele's bayou wednesday july sixteenth under a tree on the bank of steele's bayou early this morning our boat was taken out of the mississippi and put on mr fetler's ox-cart after breakfast we followed on foot The walk in the woods was so delightful that all were disappointed when a silvery gleam through the trees showed the bayou sweeping along, full to the banks, with dense forest trees almost meeting over it. The boat was launched, caulked, and reloaded, and we were off again. Toward noon the sound of distant cannon began to echo around, probably from Vicksburg again. About the same time we began to encounter rafts to get around them required us to push through brush so thick that we had to lie down in the boat the banks were steep and the land on each side a bog about one o'clock we reached this clear space with dry shelving banks and disembarked to eat lunch to our surprise a neatly dressed woman came tripping down the declivity bringing a basket she said she lived above and had seen our boat Her husband was in the army, and we were the first white people she had talked to for a long while. She offered some cornmeal pound cake and beer, and as she climbed back told us to look out for the rapids. H is putting the boat in order for our start, and says she is waving goodbye from the bluff above. Thursday, July 17, on a raft in Steele's Bayou. "'Yesterday we went on nicely a while, and an afternoon came to a strange region of rafts extending about three miles on which persons were living. Many saluted us, saying they had run away from Vicksburg at the first attempt of the fleet to shell it. On one of these rafts, about twelve feet square, bagging had been hung up to form three sides of a tent.' A bed was in one corner, and on a low chair, with her provisions in jars and boxes grouped around her, sat an old woman feeding a lot of chickens. Having moonlight, we had intended to travel till late, but about ten o'clock, the boat beginning to go with great speed, H., who was steering, called to Max, "'Don't row so fast. We may run against something.' "'Well, I'm hardly pulling at all.' "'Then we're in what she called the rapids.' THE STREAM SEEMED INDEED TO slope DOWNWARD, AND IN A MINUTE A DARK LINE WAS VISIBLE AHEAD. MAX TRIED TO TURN, BUT COULD NOT, AND IN A SECOND MORE WE DASHED AGAINST THIS IMMENSE RAFT, ONLY SAVED FROM BREAKING UP BY THE MEN'S QUICKNESS. WE GOT OUT FROM IT AND Ate SUPPER. THEN, AS THE BOAT WAS LEAKING AND THE CURRENT SWINGING IT AGAINST THE RAFT, H AND MAX THOUGHT IT SAFER TO WATCH ALL NIGHT, BUT TOLD US TO GO TO SLEEP it was a strange spot to sleep in a raft in the middle of a boiling stream with a wilderness stretching on either side the moon made ghostly shadows and showed h sitting still as a ghost in the stern of the boat while mingled with the gurgle of the water round the raft beneath was the boom of cannon in the air solemnly breaking the silence of night it drizzled now and then and the mosquitoes swarmed over us my fan and umbrella had been knocked overboard so i had no weapon against them fatigue however overcomes everything and i contrived to sleep h roused us at dawn reeney found light wood enough on the raft to make a good fire for coffee which never tasted better then all hands assisted in unloading a rope was fastened to the boat max got in h held the rope on the raft and by much pulling and pushing it was forced through a narrow passage to the farther side here it had to be caulked and while that was being done we improvised a dressing-room in the shadow of our big trunks During the trip I had to keep the time, therefore properly to secure belt and watch was always an anxious part of my toilet. The boat is now repacked, and while Annie and Reenie are washing cups, I have scribbled, wishing much that mine were the hand of an artist. Friday morn, July 18, House of Colonel K on Yazoo River after leaving the raft yesterday, all went well till noon, when we came to a narrow place where an immense tree lay clear across the stream. It seemed the insurmountable obstacle at last. We sat despairing what to do when a man appeared beside us in a piroque. So sudden, so silent was his arrival, that we were thrilled with surprise. He said if we had a hatchet he could help us, his ferry bark floated in among the branches like a bubble, and he soon chopped a path for us and was delighted to get some matches in return. He said the cannon we heard yesterday were in an engagement with the ram Arkansas, which ran out of the Yazoo that morning. We did not stop for dinner today, but ate a hasty lunch in the boat, after which nothing but a small piece of bread was left." about two we reached the forks one of which ran to the yazoo the other to the old river max said the right fork was our road h said the left that there was an error in max's map but max steered into the right fork after pulling about three miles he admitted his mistake and turned back but i shall never forget old river it was the vision of a drowned world an illimitable waste of dead waters stretching into a great silent desolate forest just as we turned into the right way down came the rain so hard and fast we had to stop on the bank it defied trees or umbrellas and nearly took away the breath the boat began to fill and all five of us had to bail as fast as possible for the half hour the sheet of water was pouring down as it abated a cold breeze sprang up that striking our clothes chilled us to the bone all were shivering and blue no i was green before leaving mr fetler's wednesday morning i had donned a dark green calico i wiped my face with a handkerchief out of my pocket and face and hands were all dyed a deep green when annie turned round and looked at me she screamed and i realized how i looked but she was not much better for of all dejected things wet feathers are the worst and the plumes of her hat were painful about five we reached colonel k s house right where Steele's bayou empties into the yazoo we had both to be fairly dragged out of the boat so cramped and weighted were we by wet skirts the family were absent and the house was headquarters for a squad of confederate cavalry which was also absent the old-coloured housekeeper received us kindly and lighted fires in our rooms to dry the clothing my trunk had got cracked on top and all the clothing to be got at was wet h had dropped his in the river while lifting it out and his clothes were wet a spoonful of brandy apiece was left in the little flask and i felt that mine saved me from being ill warm blankets and the brandy revived us and by supper time we got into some dry clothes just then the squad of cavalry returned they were only a dozen but they made much uproar being in great excitement Some of them were known to Max and H., who learned from them that a gunboat was coming to shell them out of this house. Then ensued a clatter such as twelve men, surely never made before, rattling about the halls and galleries in heavy boots and spurs, feeding horses, calling for supper, clanking swords, buckling and unbuckling belts and pistols. At last supper was dispatched, and they mounted and were gone like the wind we had a quiet supper and a good night's nice rest in spite of the expected shells and did not wake till ten to-day to realize we were not killed about eleven breakfast was furnished now we are waiting till the rest of our things are dried to start on our last day of travel by water sunday july twenty a little way down the yazoo on friday we ran into mcnutt's lake thence into chickasaw bayou and at dark landed at mrs c s farm the nearest neighbors of h s uncle the house was full of confederate sick friends from vicksburg and while we ate supper all present poured out the story of the shelling and all that was to be done at vicksburg then our stuff was taken from the boat and we finally abandoned the staunch little craft that had carried us for over one hundred and twenty-five miles in a trip occupying nine days the luggage in a wagon, and ourselves packed in a buggy, were driven for four or five miles over the roughest road I ever traveled, to the farm of Mr. B., H.'s uncle, where we arrived at midnight and hastened to hide in bed the utter exhaustion of mind and body. Yesterday we were too tired to think, or to do anything but eat peaches. End of section two.